What is the difference between a cowboy and a ninja? One says, yeehaw, and the other one says, hee-yah. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to Starting Sustainability. This is episode 144, which is what I said last time, and I will clarify that. <laughs> I am your space cadet ditzy host, Kaylin Chenoweth. <laughs> okay, so right before I left for vacation... I wrote out episode 143 and I recorded it and then somehow I just didn't post it. I completely forgot to post it. I thought I had. So in that episode, I shared a lot of really cool things and then at the end I said, and I'll be going on vacation. I'll be back in a few weeks. You'll hear me again on June 19th and then I Came, went away on vacation, had a blast, totally tuned out to the world, apparently, and my podcast. <laughs> and then I came back and recorded episode 144 and launched it last week. And then I noticed when I was scrolling through, I look it up on my phone, I go to my podcast app on my phone, and I was like, why does it say 142, which was the crossover event with realistic sustainability, and then it goes to 144, and I was like, where did 143 go? So I just thought I misspoke last week, and that was supposed to be 143, and then I was going through my computer files, and I found 143, fully recorded and ready to go, and I never launched it. That's why I'm a space cadet. <laughs> Just totally oblivious. Completely missed it. But you know what? We all make mistakes. We all have those moments where you just completely drop the ball. And it just amazes me that it took me an entire month to even realize that I completely dropped the ball. So today I'm going to present to you the real episode 143, even though this is technically episode 144, but I'm going to give you all the information that I already did the research on and recorded it. It's, <laughs> I'm so mad at myself and embarrassed, but I'm owning up to my stakes and we're going to get everybody truly caught up to what is going on in terms of my personal life with the catch-up segment and what is going on for the main topic of the day, which is going to be the California crisis or crises. There's a couple, but anyways, that's what we're going to do today. So here we go. Take two. It's time to catch up with Kaylin again. <laughs> First of all, I would like to say congratulations to Colin and Emily. They got engaged this past weekend, which was really about a month ago at this point in time. It was over Mother's Day weekend, but congratulations to Colin and Emily. They were guests on the Starting Sustainability podcast probably the first or second year. It was a long time ago and they've been strong supporters ever since. And so I'm so excited that they are engaged and I'm happy to support this union. The next thing is that I got an email about a month ago at this point <laughs> that this podcast has officially had over 100,000 downloads. How cool is that? Thank you so much, Sustainer Nation. I am so glad that you like to hear me talk all about sustainability. And let's be honest, 
sometimes a whole bunch of other random things, but they're interesting and everything else going on in my personal life as well. And I'm so glad that you keep coming back week after week. And it means a lot to me. Thank you. Thank you. Really, really a cool moment. I'm looking at my notes and I see this update. It's an update on my kids because at this moment in time, Corbin had just gotten out of school. This is the beginning of summer. So this was a month ago. So Hazley is officially, well, now she's seven months old. <laughs> I wrote, She rolls over, but now she's even sitting up on her own. She's got three teeth now at this point coming in. Colt turned three in April and Corbin had his last day of preschool a month ago. So that was kind of cool. And Corbin starts kindergarten this fall and I'm so excited for him to go to free public school so we can actually have some breathing room within our budget because three kids in daycare is killing us. <laughs> I'm sure other parents feel the same pain. Oh my gosh, this is cracking me up. I'm looking at my notes. Van update. <laughs> so you might have already figured this out. I alluded to it, but I will go ahead and, and clarify since it wasn't really clear in the last episode. But about two months ago at this point, when we started getting the warmer weather, there was a random day of 80 degrees and we were all in the van driving around somewhere and turned on the air conditioning. And guess what? The air conditioning didn't work. Of course it doesn't work because we bought it in November when it was snowing and we did not test the air conditioning. And this van, we love it and we hate it all at the same time. We took it around to a few different places because you got to get a second opinion on something expensive like that. It was diagnosed. Turns out it's the compressor that was bad and that was not a cheap fix. Also the oil filter housing unit needs to be replaced. The grand total is $3,000. Our extended warranty, which I am so glad that we got the extended warranty. I will always do that going forward after this experience. It's going to cover the parts in the labor, but not the diagnosis fee and the fluids and the Freon or the oil, all that crap. And in the end, our portion is $1,500, which is a lot. So I'm back to hating this van. Once we found that out, I was like, we're going on a hunt right now to find the next car. We are finding another car, trading this van in and getting another car. And I had a trade all lined up, ready to go. I had a Chevy Traverse that I found that was going to absorb the negative equity. We test drove it. We negotiated all week long, went in on Friday to sign the paperwork and the deal just fell apart. The salesman, the salesman told us the Chevy Traverse is not the car for you. He claimed that we were going to encounter the same issues with this car and that he highly recommended this GMC Acadia that was only one year old, only had 12,000 miles, and was only 10 grand more than the Chevy Traverse. So we walked because I don't know if he really did have my best interest at heart or if he was just trying to up the sale. So we just walked. I said, we're, we're done. Our screw it. And we also, we literally had one week <laughs> before we left to Texas at that point in time. So we dropped a good chunk of our vacation money into fixing the air conditioning in the van. Because driving to Texas without air conditioning with three little kids sounds absolutely miserable. The 17-hour car drive alone is miserable. And then you add in kids, which makes it like 48 hours <laughs> in the heat of the summer. <laughs> Not a good combination. 
We then picked up the van from the mechanic shop after it was fixed, and we've had the air conditioning cranked on high ever since. And every time we climb in there, we say, this is what $1,500 feels like, and just have the cold air blowing on us. Kind of feel a little bit like movie stars. But then our vacation suddenly became finding as many free things to do as possible. All the cool stuff we had planned wiped right off the table. It was now a lot of parks and splash pads and and whatever we could do that was free or dirt cheap. About seven weeks ago at this point, my workplace passed out free trees. I think it was in honor of Earth Day, but even then it was like two weeks after Earth Day, so I don't really understand. But anyways, I got four pecan trees. Okay, they're actually sticks with a little bit of root on them, but I brought them home on a Friday and I planned to plant them the very next day on Saturday, but the entire weekend was super cold and windy and rainy. Then life with three kids and two full-time parents went on until the following Friday when I saw the trees in the garage and realized I completely forgot about them. (laughs) Whoops. (laughs) So I did plant them. They may or may not come back to life. Turns out, they did not. (laughs) They were literally sticks, 12 to 18 inches tall, sticking up out of the ground. And after about three, four weeks, they are still little tiny sticks. But at that point in time, I was so concerned that Channing was going to mow right over them. Therefore, I got that, I'm not sure what it's called. It's a white spiraling plastic tube that goes around your tree to protect it from bunny rabbits or deer eating your trees. I got those. And they were actually too big and heavy for the trees and the whole tree fell over. (laughs) So that did not work. Then I just went around the yard and found a whole bunch of big items like rocks and bricks and firewood pieces and just stacked them all around the trees sticking out of the ground so that way Channing wouldn't run over them with the lawnmower. I didn't want a repeat of the loofah plant situation from two years ago. After all that work and effort, Channing never did mow over them. They're still there, and they are still very dead. (laughs) They didn't grow, they didn't get a leaf, nothing. Well, that was really interesting, looking at things from seven weeks ago to see (laughs) what all was going on in my life back then, and then now looking at the updates. So that was kind of cool, and hopefully things in my personal life do make more sense now that I'm going back and recapturing all the stuff that I thought you knew, but turns out you didn't know, so... (laughs) I guess that makes sense. (laughs) We're just going to move on to the main topic now. Originally, I found a couple of breaking news articles that I wanted to share in terms of sustainability in the news and what's going on in the world. And then I kind of dug more and more into them and decided to turn them into the main topic today. The first news bit... I'm going to say news bit, tidbit, because this one's just really short and quick, is that there is a newly signed state law in Oklahoma that will take effect on November 1st, 2023. So it hasn't taken effect yet, but it has been passed. And it's going to allow for restaurants and school cafeterias to donate leftover food without liability. Though it does allow for lawsuits if the restaurants or cafeteria willfully donate spoiled food. Hopefully not. I really hope that (laughs) people don't do that. They just have the extra good food. Previously, it was the lack of protection that stopped good food from being donated to those who needed it. And hopefully this new bill will help address food shortages in the state of Oklahoma. 
when I worked at a nursing home in Florida, in Tampa, Florida, we tried to do that. We wanted, I was like, man, there's so much food and I want to donate what is left over. It's not that we serve the food and whatever comes back on the plate we want to donate. No, no, no. That stuff gets trashed. It is, we produce a whole entire pan of lasagna and then people came through the line picked out what they wanted. Think of like cafeteria style. Like when you're in high school, people come through the line, pick out what they want. And we have to predict because lasagna takes a good hour to 90 minutes to prepare and bake off. If you run out of lasagna halfway through lunch service, you can't just go whip up another one in five minutes. <laughs> Those customers are going to be angry. So you have to predict how many lasagnas you think you're going to sell. And then you make them all. And that means at the end of service, when we close down after lunch, it's 1.30, we close down, and we still have an entire pan of lasagna that was overproduced, that was not served at all, but is still good, that we can donate. Or even another situation is we're going to shut down for an entire week at Christmas time. So there's a ton of food that is going to be in our walk-in coolers that isn't going to make it. <laughs> you know, like bell peppers or bananas, milk, bread. It's not going to make it. So then we can donate those. But to donate is really tough. It really is. It's not just that simple. You got to, it's a lot of big food items, heavy food items, and you have to coordinate how you're going to get them to the donation center. And you got to find people to do that. And you got to pay people to do that. And is there more time valuable at bringing money into the business versus spending money on a van and gas and to pay an hourly staff to deliver it? Or even more infuriating, once you do all that work and you get to the donation place and you show up with the food, then they forgot you were coming so you're stuck waiting a while, or they don't have room, they can only take 25 to 30 servings. And we're sitting there, we have probably 200 servings worth of food here, but you can only take 25 to 30. Okay, cool. What do we do with all the rest? So it's, it's a lot of effort. And that's just the physical labor and coordination, not to mention all of the legal liability tape hogwash crap that sits in the way that if we bring all this food and then somebody eats it, they have the right to sue us. That's frustrating. So that was a lot that we had to overcome in the state of Texas, the state of Florida. By the time I got to Indiana, I think that was all knocked out. I wasn't a part of that process, but I do remember in Florida, especially trying to navigate all of that stupid bureaucratic tape about it. Everybody gets so happy. Our food is good. We dropped it at the donation center. Whatever the donation center does from there is out of our control. Therefore, we should not be the ones getting sued. And that is why so many restaurants and school systems and grocery stores, places where I work, like cafeterias, nursing homes, if we have a food production entity anywhere and there is leftover foods, overproduced foods, foods that we're not going to be able to use before it goes bad and we want to donate. We should be able to. It should be easy. It should be an easy process. It shouldn't be this hard. So way to go, Oklahoma. Thank you for getting on board. And now for the longer news topic, I wanted to give an update about this mess that's going on out in California. And the more that I looked into it, I got more and more details and information and decided that I should probably make it the topic of this week's episode. Believe it or not, because I am a parent of three kids and I work full time, I don't really have a whole lot of time to catch up on the news. I barely have time to catch up on TV shows or movies, things that I want to hear about. I mean, I do kind of sort of want to hear the news, but usually it's pretty depressing. <laughs> Anyways, one day... 
Okay, let's set the scene. Both Channing and I work from home. I go down to work two days a week, but three days a week I'm working from home. Channing works from home just about every single day. He's supposed to be traveling, but like his next travel day is September. (laughs) Anyways, Channing got out of one of his morning meetings on Zoom and then came and found me because I'm we're in different rooms. That way we don't have to hear each other talking back and forth on our calls and stuff. Anyways, he came and found me and said, hey, guess what I just found out? I said, what? He goes, California banned gas appliances. Oh, yeah? They, what? Wait? They can do that? Yeah, they banned them. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> Let me learn more about this. <laughs> and that's a big deal in Channing's world. And that's why they talked about it in his morning meeting. He works for an electrical company. So if everybody is, if the entire state of California bans gas appliances, that means all of the residents now have to retrofit their homes to accommodate electrical appliances. And there are a lot of appliances like your oven, water heater, furnace, your clothes dryer. Those are can all be gas-based or electric-based. And now if you have to change them all and make them all electrical, that gets very expensive. So that sparked this conversation that Channing and I went into. And then I wanted to get more information because I had questions that he couldn't answer because he only got a five-minute clip about it in his meeting. So I went all over the internet trying to research and figure it out. And I'll tell you what, there's a lot of convoluted information. I'm going to do my best to sort it out and explain at least my understanding of the whole situation right now of what is going on. And I might be wrong. And I apologize if I am. It's not easy to figure this stuff out because different news articles are all reporting different information. So here's the best that I was able to decipher. And if I am wrong, I apologize in advance. But please do correct me because I want to get the actual truth out there. I don't want, I have no intention of misrepresenting anything. Here's what I found out so far to my understanding. Right now, this gas appliance ban is at the city level. Currently, San Francisco and San Diego both have gone forward with this ban. There is a push for the entire state to ban them, but as of right now, I have not found anything that supports that it has gone through. Residents are going to have to pay thousands of dollars to get bigger electrical services from the power company to handle all this increased demand of electricity. Their houses have 120 amp circuits. And that works out great when a lot of your major appliances are gas-based. Like I said, the oven, water heater, furnace, clothes dryer, all that stuff. But when you suddenly have to make them all electrical, the 120 amps is not enough. And fuses are going to be blown constantly. The homeowners are going to have to get higher electrical service installed to their houses. That means they're going to have to talk to the power line company and get it into their house. And they're gonna have to get a new electrical panel inside of the house that's gonna handle it. So you gotta talk to the power line company, a new meter to get it into the house, then a whole new panel inside the house. Not to mention, everything has gas pipes running to those appliances. And now you're gonna have to run new circuits and create outlets for all of those appliances. That is not an easy thing. It is a very major type of renovation to get all of that going. Currently, California has the highest electrical prices in the nation. And now this mandate, which is giving San Francisco residents until 2027, that's only, what, four years away, three and a half years away at this point, and San Diego residents until 2035, which is a little bit better. Thank you, San Diego. (laughs) 
they only have until 2027, 2035 to retrofit their houses. And this comes with a, the low end estimate of this is going to be $30,000. And that price range came up from an article that I found two years ago. A lot has happened in terms of inflation in the last two years. So that 30,000 is definitely a low end estimate. It is most certainly going to be more than $30,000. And that's a lot of money to come up with. It's already hard enough. I don't know if anybody's been to California or knows anyone in California, but the mortgages are insane. The electrical prices are insane. The cost of living there is absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. I don't know how anybody actually does live there. That's probably why there's a whole lot of homeless people around there because they can't afford anything. It's just, it's so, what's the right word here? Hypocritical to say that we're being noble by banning natural gas to save the earth, but at the same time, if we're literally going to be sacrificing all of these people and their hard work and their money to force them into this. That's not fair. This is a very costly mandate, and it's going to force a huge increase in California's already struggling electrical grid. California can't meet their current electrical needs. My brother Todd lives out there and he had to explain to me that in the summertime, because everybody needs air conditioning because it gets hot, that they have planned rolling blackouts. And I didn't quite understand what that meant. I've heard the term before on the news, but it didn't really make sense until he explained it to me that think of the entire city. He lives in the city of Fresno. So think of the entire city and this section of the city, like blocks, will have a planned power outage for two hours and then it will come back on and the next chunk the next few blocks or few streets are going to have a power outage and it's every two hours it's rolling across the city this section and then that section and then the other section and it just keeps moving along and that forces reduction air conditioning two hours is I'm not sure who came up with the two hour plan, but basically your food isn't going to expire in your refrigerator. People aren't going to notice their house like coming up to a boiling point because that was what was happening years prior to this is that everybody would need electricity. The power company couldn't handle it and it would just not be able to make it work. And then everybody's dying in their homes because they have this massive heat wave and no air conditioning and people can't handle that. They're baking in their homes. It's too hot. It's sad. So this is a huge mess. Not only are we predicting the massive increase in electrical needs and California struggling to meet those demands, there is also going to be a demand for electrical appliances. You got to replace all these gas appliances with electrical appliances. So those are about to become a shortage. <laughs> There's already shortages on freaking everything. I work in kitchens. Right now, if we need a new appliance like a, a combi oven, a steamer, a steam well, any of that stuff, it's like four to six months before another one is available. It forces us right now, if anything happens to our equipment, we are throwing Band-Aid over Band-Aid over Band-Aid because to just say it's time to replace it, that means we got to go four to six months to wait for the next one. We cannot go four to six months without utilizing a massive piece of equipment in the kitchen to pump out our food. We got to make it work. We got to get creative, but we got to make it work. So it's a struggle. This is a struggle. And it's not just the electrical appliances. The amount of electricians and electrical companies, can they handle this onslaught of 
increased demand, as well as all of the materials that they're going to need to do all these retrofittings. I don't know if 2027 is a realistic timeline for San Francisco. I hope that that city is a little bit more forgiving and does extend that. And I also hope that somebody somewhere comes up with some type of system for credits to ease the cost. I could not find that. I was digging and searching and I could not find anywhere where they have a plan to assist people with this ridiculous high price cost on how they're going to make that happen for families. Right now, we're a family of three, three kids in daycare. We are struggling. We are in what they call survival mode. We are just trying to survive with our finances. We're barely able to put savings. We're barely able to do retirement. We're barely able to do, we're like very slow trying to get out of debt because stupid vans keep knocking us back down. (laughs) But you get my point. We're struggling and we're not even in freaking California. The other question that I had was, what are you going to do with all the old gas appliances? And I couldn't find an answer anywhere. I guess I should have explained at the beginning, how are they forcing this mandate? They're going to stop natural gas companies. Like, they're done. So even if you refuse to switch over to electrical appliance, all of a sudden you're not going to get gas into your house to cook with or to dry your clothes with or to heat up your water. You're just not even going to have it. So your choices are get on board or go without these appliances. That's how they are forcing this mandate. That is one article that I did find that the state of California banned gas piping in new building construction. So any building going forward, and this was, oh shoot, I should have written this down. This was passed either in March or April. I want to say April. That law went through. Any new buildings being built would not have gas piping into them. It's not even an option. So that part went through. That one I was able to find a specific answer on, but the other ones are definitely still up for debate. Like I said, if you have any more insight on this and would like to clarify or add in your two cents, I am so happy to listen. Please let me know. You can, honestly, I'd stopped checking the starting sustainability email because it is just, I probably get over 100 spam messages a day and I might get two real messages from human beings and not robots a week. And it just got to be so overwhelming to go through them all and find them. What I'm saying is the best way to get a hold of me is to send me a message on Facebook. You can send it to me directly. You can go through the Starting Sustainability group, and that's the best way to find me. It really is, because I just gave up on the email. It's, it just became too overwhelming. And the comment section in my website also became so full of spam and bots, and I just got tired of that. So I gave up on the comments. They, it's gonna, you, <laughs> you can post a comment, but then I have to go through and approve of it, because I was getting a whole bunch of stuff for medicines and surveys, how to make a whole bunch of money super fast, click this link here, give feedback here, and I just got done with that. I even started getting a whole bunch of comments of, you stole this person, it was like copyright infringement on this content, but it was all so extremely vague, like your podcast and stole content. Like it couldn't name my podcast or specify what the content was or what the source was, but I could click on this link and give them a whole bunch of money and then this problem would go away. So I just gave up on that too. (laughs) 
so there there we go got a little bit real on the background of what's going on behind the scenes of the podcast but basically I gave up on the email and I gave up on the comments I was like I do not have time to sit here and babysit and monitor all these stupid spam bots I'm done I'm over it so if you want to get a hold of me (laughs) go to starting sustainability there is a group on Facebook starting sustainability reach out to me that way you can do it on the group as a message or you can just send it to me go through that group and then find me and send me a private message either way I'm really happy to hear what's going on anyways good luck to California and Californians and I hope that the good intentions of switching to all electric do eventually come through and that this jacked up system that from what I can see hasn't really been thought through on how to assist with the financial burden this is going to be or how to recycle the old appliances I hope these questions do get answered and that by the time the mandate kicks into effect that this would be a much smoother process. I wanted to do things a little bit different this episode. Instead of a traditional challenge, we're going to do a 4th of July quiz. I had to look up some 4th of July information for work and I was going through it all and I said, I'm sure that I did learn this information at one point in time, probably back in fifth grade, but I do not remember it and it's been quite the refresher. Therefore, I put together a quiz and let's see how well you do, Sustainer Nation. Good luck. Question number one is, the vote of the 13 colonies who were known as the Continental Congress to declare themselves independent of British rule took place on what day? July 2nd, July 4th, August 2nd, or August 4th? And the answer is A. The vote took place on July 2nd. The Declaration of Independence was finalized on July 4th, which is the date we celebrate. Question number two. What day was the Declaration of Independence signed? July 2nd, July 4th, August 2nd, or August 4th? And the answer is August 2nd. The signing of the Declaration of Independence didn't actually take place until August 2nd. That's crazy. Question number three. Why do we set off fireworks on 4th of July? A. They represent the explosions at the Boston Tea Party. B. John Adams said he wanted to celebrate the anniversary with fireworks. C. The celebrations first started with cannons firing and then grew to fireworks years later when they were invented. Or D. The first fireworks invented were red, white, and blue. Therefore, they were used at 4th of July because they matched the colors of the flag. The answer is B. John Adams, one of the five authors of the Declaration of Independence, wanted, quote, this was, he wrote this down in documentation, quote, he wanted a great anniversary festival. It ought to be solemnized with pomp and parade with shoes. I have no idea what that is. Shoes as an S-H-E-W-S. I don't know what that is. Shoes, games, sports, guns, bells, bonfires, and illuminations from one end of this continent to the other from this time forward and forevermore. So those illuminations would be the fireworks. I didn't realize that they even had fireworks back then, but that's kind of cool. Question number four, what meal did John and Abigail Adams eat 
for the first 4th of July celebration? A. Roasted raccoon and corn. B. Boiled muskrat and potatoes. C. Bear steaks and quail eggs. Or D. Salmon and turtle soup. The answer is D. Salmon and turtle soup. Mmm, that's pretty different than the normal hot dogs and hamburgers that we eat today. Number five, why do we barbecue on 4th of July? Somewhere along the lines, we dropped the salmon and turtle soup tradition and changed over to barbecue, which I am thankful for. (laughs) I was just curious why. Your choices are A, political leaders staged massive barbecues and rallies. B, because it's 90 degrees outside, so we should have hot fire going too. C, it lines up with the time of year for slaughter. Or D, hot dogs and hamburgers are cheap, quick, and easy to grill for large masses. The correct answer is A, political leaders began holding rallies to mark Independence Day and drew crowds by staging massive barbecues featuring whole pigs and oxen. Who knew? The last question, number six. What brand of hot dog is used at the 4th of July hot dog eating contest? Is it A, Ballpark, B, Oscar Mayer, C, Nathan's Famous, or D, Great Value? The answer is C, Nathan's Famous. The hot dog eating contest is so famous, it is hosted on ESPN, and the reigning champion is Joey Chestnut, who holds the record for the most hot dogs eaten, which is 76. (laughs) That's a lot of freaking hot dogs. (laughs) Well, there you have it. There's your 4th of July trivia. Hopefully you did well, or at least learned something new, and definitely feel free to take some of this new trivia knowledge and share it for some engaging conversation while you're hanging out with your friends and family tomorrow on 4th of July. The next episode will be on July 17th. By then we should be all caught up, no more confusion. I'll be giving you an update on my bucket list. It's the (laughs) mid-year. Halfway through the year, let's see how I'm doing. Probably not all that good. (laughs) And an HR topic again about harassment in the workplace. A little inspiration from Dolly Parton and my trip to Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Take care, Sustainer Nation. Have a wonderful 4th of July. Continue saving the world. And please be really safe with the fireworks. And I'll see you all again on July 17th. Have a great one. Bye.